You're listening to On The Record Offscript, and I'm your host, Sandra Hannibal. This week on Offscript, we explore the stories of people who were not former MLAs. We explore what Mi'kmaq representation in the Nova Scotia legislature might look like. There has never been a Mi'kmaq MLA in Nova Scotia, despite the fact that a seat has been reserved for one in the House of Assembly Act since the early 1990s. The first question that comes up when we were doing our research for it is why it hasn't been um, used. And right. it seems like there is a bit of a story behind that. <laughs> yes, sir, you're <laughs> right. Um, it was pretty clear uh, there was very little support for the idea from the Mi'kmaq side. Today, we ask three questions. First, how did it come to be that the Mi'kmaq were given their own seat in the legislature? Second, why hasn't the seat ever been filled? And lastly, how are the Mi'kmaq people we spoke to in this episode interested in engaging with their government, either through the legislature or outside of it? To understand the story, you have to also understand there's a long backstory to the Mi'kmaq relationship with settlers. But for the purposes of this episode, we fast forward to the 1980s, to what Mi'kmaq Senator Dan Christmas called... Probably the worst period in, in modern history between the Mi'kmaq and the province. There were several events that made this a tense period between the Mi'kmaq and the provincial government, and both sides seem interested in finding some way to work better alongside one another in the future. That's where our story begins. We start with Senator Dan Christmas, who is the first Mi'kmaq lawmaker in Canadian history. That's correct. There's never been a Mi'kmaq person either in the House of Commons or the Senate. And you're correct, there's been no one in the, uh, in the House of Assembly in Nova Scotia. Uh, it was just a bad time in the late 80s, uh, and I often tell people that, that that was probably the worst period in, in modern history between the Mi'kmaq and the province. There was nothing. So where did this idea come from? At the time, they were going through a report or a recommendation from the Electoral Boundaries Commission. I think the idea first arose about um, doing a dedicated seat for the African Scotian community and doing a dedicated seat for the Acadian population. So I think then by um, extrapolation, I think they said, well, there should be a seat for the Mi'kmaq as well. So I think that's how the idea first arose. Every 10 years, electoral boundaries are redrawn to ensure the number of voters in each riding is similar. An independent electoral boundaries commission is established based on terms set by the legislature or one of their committees and proposes what the electoral districts and boundaries for the province should look like for the next 10 years. When this exercise took place in the early 90s, protected ridings were created for African Nova Scotian and Acadian communities. In protected ridings, the population was slightly smaller than the average riding, and the lines were drawn in such a way as to increase the likelihood that a member of the communities these ridings were meant to protect would be elected to the legislature. For Mi'kmaq communities, the situation was a bit different. An election was looming, and all parties seemed to want to do something about Mi'kmaq representation in the House. A committee of the House asked the Electoral Boundaries Commission to consider adding one member to the House to represent the Mi'kmaq people of the province, and the motion was passed by the House unanimously. The Electoral Boundaries Commission followed the recommendation of the House and basically said, sure, add a Mi'kmaq seat, but consult with the province's Mi'kmaq communities about the terms of the seat before and until you fill it. It was the first time Nova Scotia would see protected ridings, and the first time a Mi'kmaq seat would be included in the House of Assembly Act. 
The Chiefs were hesitant to accept the offer at the time and didn't really have a chance to decline it. So why was the amendment for a reserved seat passed by unanimous vote within weeks? The late Michael Baker seemed to have a quick answer when he was chairman of the Select Committee on Electoral Boundaries in 2001. He had no illusions about why the decision was rushed in 1991. There was a looming election. He said, quote, The point of the matter was that at the time they wanted to have these changes in advance of the election to follow. These changes are very difficult to make literally a month before an election. It was done in a manner that would allow for the changes to be, first of all, understood by the voting population and to have them in place for the next election. End quote. So 25 years went by and the seat is still empty. We have not had any Mi'kmaq representation in the legislature. One section with two subsections was added to the House of Assembly Act. The first for a guaranteed Mi'kmaq seat. The second to consult with Mi'kmaq leaders annually until they figure out how to fill the seat. If you look at the first subsection alone and then look at the composition of the House of Assembly over the last 25 years, it'd be easy to label that section of the act a failure. But the second subsection, the one that guarantees that the province would consult annually with Mi'kmaq leaders, that meant a great deal to the Mi'kmaq people we spoke with. That second subsection, the afterthought, became an assurance that the legislature would meet with Mi'kmaq chiefs every year, and they have for the last 25 years. There's three formal processes in place now, and you have to remember back when this uh, uh, seat was proposed for the legislature, there was nothing. But that first subsection remained an open invitation, and though the chiefs have met with the province every year since, after 1994, the reserve seat stopped being a focus. So, Section 6 of the House of Assembly Act was passed rather quickly before an election. It was done on an assumption that Mi'kmaq people were interested in being represented in the legislature without formally consulting with Mi'kmaq chiefs. The legislature passed that amendment unanimously, presumably because the thinking behind the assumption was shared by all members of the House. But the Mi'kmaq people, as represented by the chiefs at the time, didn't share MLA's enthusiasm for taking a seat in the legislature. Well, once that proposal was tabled, and seeing how far-reaching the proposal was, I think a lot of Mi'kmaq people just disengaged from the idea because they weren't ready to really discuss that concept at that point in time. I also spoke with Jaime Batiste, who is a treaty educator, and has spoken to some of the chiefs that would have been around the table at that time. He told us that the chiefs had good reason to hesitate on accepting the offer. Within the discussion, uh, there was a, a seat offered to the Mi'kmaq on that, and uh, however, the Mi'kmaq felt at the time is that, uh, that they, it was only being uh, uh, used as a token seat, and they just be, you know, uh, that uh, the government's intention at the time in creating the seat wouldn't uh, add to uh, any increased dialogue between the Mi'kmaq and the province. You know, each community has its uh, has its own. Uh, diverse dynamic and I think the biggest thing was that they feel like when they talk as a group or as a whole they get more done and when they delegate that responsibility to one individual uh, mm -hmm. there was just it just seemed like how one individual could represent all of the Mi'kmaq uh, voices of Nova Scotia within the province uh, was more problematic than trying to move forward uh, as a collective uh, negotiating and discussing things uh, as they are today. So uh, they, they felt that their concerns were better relayed as a group of chiefs rather than one individual 
delegated or selected by uh, whatever means would be would be done. But the thing is that the Mi'kmaq rights are constitutional in nature, mm-hmm. and so uh, we have a, a constitutional right rights that uh, and a constitutional relationship that we didn't feel was served at the time best by uh, a, a seat at the table within the provincial government because our, our original treaties were signed with, signed with the British Crown and not a province mm-hmm. or not a federal government. So our, our, we have a very unique relationship within Nova Scotia and within Canada. Even if the seat were to be filled, it's unclear how that seat would be filled. Yes, and again, that's another big question. If we got to the point of saying that we wanted to have a seat in the legislature, the second big question is, well, how do you go about selecting that individual? And I think the second question is uh, just as much open for debate as the first one. One case study of how Indigenous representation might look in our legislature comes from the state legislature in Maine. More on that in a moment. Offscript is made possible by the listeners who pay for the content we produce with their donations. If you're a regular listener and you get something out of it, we hope you'll make a contribution over at offscript.ca slash donate. This week, Mike Kennedy and Lynn Henniger tell us why they became Offscript donors. Hi, Offscript listeners. My name is Mike Kennedy, and I'm excited to be supporting the work of Springtide and Offscript. and really enjoy the work that they're doing to ask tough questions about the institutions that govern us in the province. We never need a more educated, progressive citizenry that can ask tough questions and give some social license to our uh, province's political leadership so that we can shift the focus away from potholes towards tackling some of the big upstream issues we face, like income inequality, the future edu- of education, and climate change. Keep up the great work, team. My name is Lynn Henniger, and as a former publisher, I understand great work when I hear it. That's why I'm a proud monthly contributor to this podcast. If you're enjoying, or more importantly, learning from what you're hearing, I encourage you to support this initiative, too. Thank you, Mike, and thank you, Lynn. You can do what they did by going to offscript.ca slash donate and choosing to give three, five, or eight bucks a month. Okay, back to the podcast. Senator Christmas said the idea of a guaranteed Indigenous seat started with the legislature, but the idea isn't unique to Nova Scotia. Since the 1800s, non-voting Indigenous members sat in the legislature of the state of Maine. In the early 90s, it seemed like a pretty positive example of the unique relationship that can form between colonial institutions and the Indigenous. But Maine's story with the Passamaquoddy and Penobscot tribes didn't end with the addition of a few seats in the legislature. This idea in Nova Scotia was actually borrowed from what happened in Maine. And it worked out in Maine? Not quite. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, the representatives from the Penobscot and the Passamaquoddy uh, withdrew from the Maine legislature in protest of uh, some policies, I think, by the government. The relationship didn't end, but it changed a lot. Actually, it changed into something that looks a lot like the relationship between Mi'kmaq and our province. In 2015, Passamaquoddy and Penobscot delegates walked out of the state legislature in Maine in protest of a lack of respect for tribal sovereignty from the government. Their seats have been empty since. A year later, the Penobscot tribe officially withdrew their seat, hoping to switch from a non-voting state representative model to a, quote, government relations ambassador. Not unlike the diplomatic relationship that Mi'kmaq chiefs in Nova Scotia have with the provincial and federal government. 
One of the representatives who walked out, Wayne Mitchell, said his tribe wanted officials chosen to work with the state and, quote, consider themselves to be ambassadors of a separate and equal nation, not as non-voting members of the legislature, unquote. The relationship between tribes in Maine and the state government soured over a long period leading up to the 2015 walkout. But the last straw was when Governor Paula Page took back an executive order that described the state's obligation to consult tribes on matters that affect them. That was Maine's experience. According to Senator Dan Christmas, the model used in Maine inspired the model proposed in Nova Scotia in the early 1990s. The original intent, uh, and this is going back to 1989 and 90s, the original intent was simply uh, to have a member in the legislature who was non-partisan, uh, who was non-voting, who would simply participate in all of the work of the legislature, but to be a voice when they saw certain legislation, legislation coming through that may infringe upon mm-hmm. Aboriginal treaties, uh, Aboriginal lands, Aboriginal resources. But there was a voice directly in the chamber to address any issues that would arise in, in legislation. So it was more of a, almost like a watchdog uh, to make sure that there was no substantive errors made in proposing legislation that may in fact impact upon Mi'kmaq lands or resources or treaties. The question then you have to ask yourself is whether or not the existing processes that we have be it the tripartite forum, be it the negotiation table or the consultation table, are those issues now adequately addressed through those processes rather than having uh, a seat in the House, Nova Scotia House of Assembly? Those are all great questions and I think they need to be addressed. I just don't know from sitting in my chair how that would play out. Here's how it plays out now. Reserves govern through a band system. Each community, sometimes including more than one reserve, elects a chief through a band election. Deborah Robinson is chief for the Acadia First Nation. I'm elected to office. Mine would be Acadia First Nation, and and that is the South Shore. I have five reserves within the Acadia First Nation, and uh, I've held the position of chief there since 1987, so it'll be 30 years in two weeks. Well, my portfolio is governance for the Mi'kmaq chiefs of Nova Scotia, and we have been aware of this seat and had discussions, you know, over over the past few years, but the priority really in governance has focused on building our own governance structure, and, um, you know, this, this is something that we establish at the Assembly of Nova Scotia Mi'kmaq Chiefs, and that's why we have the portfolio system of which mine is governance. You're familiar with the Made in Nova Scotia process? I wasn't. The Made in Nova Scotia process is the forum for Mi'kmaq and governments of Nova Scotia and Canada to resolve issues related to Mi'kmaq treaty rights, including governance. So rather than always resorting to litigation, uh, the three parties, Canada, Nova Scotia and Mi'kmaq, formed a negotiation table. And then shortly afterwards, they formed uh, a consultation table. So major projects in the province that needed consultation with the Mi'kmaq 
both the federal and provincial government can go through that table. So these these are documents that have been developed um, during the I would say the last 15 years is when we started, and they formally have provided us with a voice on what happens here in Nova Scotia. So we've talked about the establishment, uh, you know, of our own governance structure, Mi'kmaq, and we, you know, we we meet with the the um, provincial governments here in Nova Scotia. Although we don't have the seat, it doesn't mean that it isn't something the assembly would would reconsider, you know. And I think it'll continue to be be something uh, on the agenda, uh, an item for discussion. For the seat to be filled, Jaime Batiste said the chiefs would have to be convinced of two things. You'd have to convince the, the chiefs, as well as the Mi'kmaq Grand Council, that uh, that their efforts would be best served by a provincial representative. And that I think the biggest thing is that there would be no uh, drop in communication between the current provincial government and the chiefs just because uh, an extra seat was created for an individual. And a representative has no power over, uh, you know, funding. Representatives have no, uh, no over legislation. You know, they, they could say their piece, but that's not, uh, that's, you know, the constitutional of the of nature of the Mi'kmaq, you know, uh, the, basically says that as, as Mi'kmaq, our Aboriginal and treaty rights uh, supersede provincial laws. According to Jaime, the Mi'kmaq chiefs weren't convinced that a seat in the legislature reflected the important nature of the treaty relationship between Mi'kmaq and the Crown. You know, they didn't feel that was representative of, of the treaties and the agreements made uh, that guide the relationship between the Crown and the Mi'kmaq. They weren't thrilled with the notion of a single uh, token spot uh, within, within the provincial government. Uh, and so... Why would they settle for anything uh, less than uh, the constitutional uh, relationship that uh, it's promised within the treaties? But would placing a Mi'kmaq representative in the legislature really put this relationship at risk? The House of Assembly Act says that the Premier must meet annually with representatives of Mi'kmaq people until the additional member is added to the legislature. But there's no guarantee that consultations with chiefs would continue if the seat was to be filled. So would that relationship end if the Mi'kmaq were to decide to fill that seat? That part's not entirely clear. Mi'kmaq candidates have run in provincial elections, but haven't won seats in the legislature. Trevor Sanipas is the most recent of those people. Trevor is originally from Eskasoni, and he ran in the May 2017 election as the NDP candidate for Waverly, Fall River, Beaverbank. He was unsuccessful in his bid for MLA. Sani Pass described leadership in Mi'kmaq communities as strong. He helped a family member campaign in a banned election in Eskasoni, and when it came to his own entry into politics, he felt like he could better serve in a different setting. He offered his candidacy to another community in need of representation, a provincial riding. He saw his role more as a candidate for the riding he campaigned in than a representative for the Mi'kmaq communities. Even though I am running, I'm hoping to win on my own accord. Mm-hmm. When I meet people, um, I, I introduce myself, of course, Trevor Sanipas, and I am Bima. Um, <clears throat> but I don't really say that, uh, you know, if elected, I'll be the, the, uh, the first uh, Aboriginal or Mi'kmaq MLA, you, you know, in Nova Scotia history. Unless they ask. And sometimes I bring my, some of my teachings along, 
uh, with me mm-hmm. and knocking on doors. But my teachings is about you know really resolving together, not not just one person dictating. He was clear that as an MLA, he would be representing the constituents of his riding as the first Mi'kmaq MLA. That would have made history, but he was the one person I spoke with who felt that something should be done with the seat reserved for the Mi'kmaq. I'm interested in what's going what's to happen with that seat. Because we do need representation uh, in the legislature. That seat should be filled regardless. I think if Trevor's elected, and uh, I wish him all the best by his constituents in his region, I think that uh, re- reflects well on him and, and his party's views at the time. However, when you sit or you're affiliated with a party, I don't think you can serve uh, for the Mi'kmaq. Uh, I think the same discussion came up last election when uh, John Frank Tony ran out of Eskasoni, uh, and, uh, you know, it still was the feeling of, yes, uh, you know, the community was behind him, but there's a difference between representing a riding that doesn't have a constitutional relationship and representing a uh, people or a nation that has a constitutional relationship and constitutional rights entrenched within, uh, you know, the Canadian Constitution. So it's a, it's a very unique and different relationship. Trevor Sanipas agreed. Representing a riding and representing a nation are two very different things. Tune in for next week's special episode to hear more about Trevor's story. Whether the seat is filled or not, one thing is clear from the Mi'kmaq representatives we spoke with. The relationship between the Mi'kmaq and the province is dramatically different than what it was when that space was created. Like I said, back in the late 80s, it's almost 30 years now, um, and the relationship between the province and the Mi'kmaq of Nova Scotia has really dramatically evolved. so, for instance, um, shortly after the Marshall Inquiry, um, the government formed a, what's called the uh, Mi'kmaq Nova Scotia Canada Tripartite Forum. It's, it's actually a recommendation of the Marshall Inquiry. And since 91, uh, the Tripartite Forum has existed. It's really been a form of discussion between the three levels of government. That's the governments of the Mi'kmaq, Nova Scotia, and Canada. There's three formal processes in place now. And you have to remember, back when this uh, uh, seat was proposed for the legislature, there was nothing. And now you have processes where the Mi'kmaq routinely engage uh, the province on matters that are important, be it programs and services like the tripartite form, uh, be it title and rights like the negotiation table, or be it major projects. Uh, through the consultation table. So those three tables exist. Last fall, we would have had our seventh annual joint meeting of the Assembly of Nova Scotia Mi'kmaq Chiefs and the Nova Scotia Executive Cabinet. At this meeting, the chiefs and the premier and the cabinet ministers, we come together to discuss, you know, issues of priority for the Mi'kmaq. So it's something that is probably still going to be talked about, but at this point in time, it, you know, it hasn't been filled. It doesn't mean that there hasn't been any voice for the Mi'kmaq because there has within the, within the province's political structure. The most wonderful thing, I think, of all of that is within the last few years, I think just within the last three or four years, uh, the province, is, uh, the premier and the cabinet, uh, regularly meet with all the chiefs in the province. And it has become such a tradition that this past year, when we had a Heritage Day in Nova Scotia, uh, the celebration was that the members mm-hmm. of the provincial government 
uh, had a, a hockey game with the members of the Mi'kmaq Chiefs and leadership. I remember they had one game here in Memorial, one game in Millbrook, in Turo. So I, I think that's a symbol of how much have things have evolved and changed, right? Uh, back in the late 80s, it, it was, the relationship was so disrupted and so difficult. And now today, you know, political leaders from both Mi'kmaq and the provincial side can call themselves friends and have some friendly competition. It's, it astounds me how much that relationship has evolved. Given there's a, a very cooperative political climate between the province and the Mi'kmaq, I mean, maybe today is the right time to talk about an extra seat in the House that's nonpartisan and non-voting to represent the Mi'kmaq interest. Maybe the time is right. Last week on Offscript, we mentioned that neither Mark nor I have Mi'kmaq heritage. We could be about as naively well-intentioned as the legislature was. But it's been over two decades since a space was created for a Mi'kmaq representative in the House of Assembly, and more than one of our interviewees indicated they'd be open to revisiting the topic of whether that space should be filled. Is now the right time? That's for elected Mi'kmaq chiefs and the Grand Council to discuss with their communities. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Offscript Podcast. This episode was written by me, Sandra Hennebohm. It was edited and produced by Mark Coffin. The theme music is by Josh Spacek at needledrop.co, and all of the other music came from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech. Tune in next week for a special episode, and in another two weeks, for a standard full episode. Offscript is produced by Springtide, a registered charity working to make democracy better in Nova Scotia. Follow us on Twitter at Springtide Co. If you liked what you heard and plan to keep listening, consider becoming a donor for as little as $3 a month. You can do that at offscript.ca slash donate. Make sure to subscribe to On The Record Offscript in iTunes or your favorite, whatever your podcasting app is. You can find the podcast in a whole bunch of places by searching On The Record Offscript in Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Overcast, Pocketcast, and many more. If you'd like to get in touch with us for any reason, you can reach us at offscript at springtide.ngo. 